<laughs> yes, Neil. That is what it sounds like when you are sitting next to me on the couch having a 9 p.m. snack of chips while I'm trying to watch television. That is so unfair of you, my dear, because I have never, ever been that loud. That is like yep. full mouth open, like diving but in. But you don't understand when somebody has a sensitivity to those kinds of noises, that's what it feels like. It literally hurts my body. So can you just from now on just sit on the other couch or at the very least just go in the other room and enjoy your snacks? You know what? We've been together for how many years? It was never, ever an issue until like the last few years. So I think these ASMR videos on YouTube would be really good therapeutics for you. I think not. What are you guys doing? The Landscapes and Pancakes Podcast. Wow. There are a gajillion aspects to the green industry. All right. I just want this podcast to be <laughs> real. Interesting. It's not always fun. What? But I think people go through this. I know. None of it makes sense. Seriously. We are the ones designing and we are the ones building. We respect each other. Respect. Well done with our guest this week, buddy. You, um, you got his name right. <laughs> Yes. Yay for you. Small victory. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about the first car that I bought. What was your first car? Oh, my first car was the Ford Escort, the Pony line. The pony? Yes, it was called the Pony. And not only was it called the Pony, but I had the privilege of having pony decals on it. Nice. Oh, yeah. Man, yep, you must yep. have been styling driving around Portsmouth in that thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just say I was so embarrassed by it that I spent literally hours with a hairdryer blow drying the decals off and, and patiently peeling them off so that nobody would see it. Wow. Well, mine was, believe it or not, a 1979 gray Toyota Celica. Wow, that's old. Yeah, it was an old car. Um, it was 350 bucks and, um, it was right down the street from me. I had probably 400 bucks saved. So I bought it. Um, even though my mom said not to, because she tried to explain to me the fact that I had no money for the repairs and the car insurance and all these things, registration, right. That came along with it, but, um, I couldn't resist it. So I bought it. It turns out that my mom was right. It was a horrible <laughs> investment it needed so much work and yeah I didn't have the money for it now was that the car that you had when you were working um, as a surveyor when you were a teenager no because um, that sur I was still scooping ice cream at that time so at Gray's so um, the next year uh, once I had everything in line I um, started the survey assistant but my first my first year wasn't really helping out the surveyor it was literally putting in three-foot granite bounds in a subdivision for the entire summer <laughs> with a pick and a, you know, postal diggers. Oh, that was my sounds horrible. Three solid months, but yeah. And then, then I, I graduated to a survey assistant where I got to hold the, um, the other end of the, you know, the, the receiver. And So did you do that then when you were in college? So you went to yeah. UMass Amherst yep. for landscape architecture. Mm -hmm. And so um, was that your summer job working for the yeah. survey company? Yep. Uh, that first year that I actually got at the, for the survey, for the, for the engineering firm that was both the jobs, the bounds and the surveying, I, um, I cleaned their offices 
uh, once a week when I was in high school, I drove up to Providence, cleaned out the entire office, washed coffee cups, you know, vacuumed and watered the plants. Uh, but yeah, when I went to school, I still continued to work for them. So I came home in college. I would come home um, for the summers. I would come home for winter break even and survey, which was horrible outside in New England. Spring break, you name it. I was just whatever I could just get over there and make some money, I would do it. Yeah, but that experience alone, do you, did you start to learn anything about your field while you were doing that? I mean, it sounds pretty brutal, honestly, uh, but do you think you learned anything at that point? I was in the dark for like the whole first summer of surveying. Yeah. And they, they tried to explain it to me, but the guy, the guy that I worked with was this super jacked um, Marine that was just like the most gung-ho person ever. I like just literally tried to keep up with him. And the guy was like 20 years older than me. We would go through the woods. So like a developer would want to purchase a plot of land and subdivide it. So we would have to do this traverse. So we'd have to actually locate all the property lines. But it was literally just poison ivy and um, rose thorns and trees all in the way. where We couldn't shoot a, you know, a 400-foot line. Right. So we're in the woods with, with, this, machete. <laughs> with this machete, with this marine. The guy's just going to town, and I'm just trying to keep up with them. And it was like 10, 12-hour days at, at like Monday through Friday, easy. That whole that whole first few years, crazy. <laughs> that sounds pretty intense. But so, then when you got out of school, is that the at the point where you worked at the engineering firm? I yeah been in a couple different places, so I'm trying to uh, yep. remember yep. the order of events. Yeah, I was going to travel Europe. I was going to move out west. I had my sights set on Colorado and California, and um, I really, am, yeah, you really, we're going to do that. Oh you yeah, thought you were going to do that. I never thought I was going to stay around here ever. You never told me that. No, never. Um, but I didn't have any money. So because I worked th with them through school, they had a landscape architect on staff. And this is when the economy was booming. So um, that last month of school, they actually offered me a job. So um, I took it. So, so were I, you figuring you could get your two years under that landscape architect to get your license? Yep. Was that the yep. plan? And I was eligible through some of the survey work I did and through the engineers to get you know them sign off on that, that two years. So... Um, and yeah. how was that experience? Because that was in an engineering firm, but yeah. you were working with the landscape architect. And, and knowing you, how I know you, how your brain works, how was that experience for you? It was odd because when I went to UMass, because I worked for them, I figured I'd go in for civil engineering. And I quickly learned that that was just was not my style. I hated it. I was so bored by it. So I, I, I switched to landscape architecture, thankfully, and I ended up <laughs> ironically back in that same firm with a bunch of engineers and they were, they were all cool. It was just, you know, I was younger than everybody and everyone was married and settling down and buying houses. And I was just so far removed from that, but, um, it was dry. I mean, I, de I designed subdivisions. Literally I would lay out house lots and foundations of septic systems and roadways. And I did a lot of, um, DOT work like department of transportation planting design and stuff. I mean, I learned a lot, but I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy with the design I was doing because we were literally just, you know, someone buys a plot of land and I cleared, cl they, they clear cut it and I max out how many house lots I can get on it. There was a conflict of interest there to say the least. Right. And so then after that experience, I know you worked for another engineer firm, but at some point too, you ended up working as a carpenter. Yeah. So after two years after school, I got my time under that LA and that firm and I just, I just quit, gave him my two weeks. And I went to go work for a builder, um, building, a. at that point, it was like pretty high end, like $5 million house. Um, I was a laborer there. 
um, cause I wanted to get my hands on some things and learn some new, some new tricks. And I always wanted to do carpentry, started out as a laborer there. Um, that was pretty cool. I, I literally was responsible for like organizing materials and getting materials. And I quickly would go through everything I had every day to the point where they would have, um, no more work for me to do. So they would just start having me assist carpenters. And within a year, I was doing finish um, trim work inside the house on this $5 million home. It was, it was super cool. Did you think you might stick with it? Did you like it enough to think you might yeah. stick with that and, and forget yep. about the landscape architecture path? Yep. I was definitely far removed from, from anything. I, I mean, they were, building, they were building a pool. I saw all the gunite being done there due to a bunch of bluestone work there. And I saw all the landscape going in from inside the house. And it was kind of interesting to see everybody building everything that they were doing outside. But um, I wasn't a part of that at all. But then eventually you did make your way back to the world of landscape architecture and you ended up in a landscape architect's office, which is actually where we met. But from there, because I know when I met you, I felt like you had a pretty good job at that point, but you still weren't satisfied. And then at some point in that experience, you decided to go out on your own. And I kind of always wondered what really prompted you to do that? Having not yeah. really built anything no. other than the carpentry, yep. never really building, having built anything yourself. I mean, that seems yep. pretty gutsy. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend that for, every, for, <laughs> for everyone. Uh, I look back on what we did, and I definitely think having a mentor would have been beneficial at times. But yeah, I mean, the firm was, it was good. It was a good experience, but um, <clears throat> it's not like it was the most creative LA firm, you know? Um, they, they did a lot. I was back into doing a lot of that DOT work. I mean, they got a lot of DOT work through the state. So it was highway plantings, um, things of that nature. A lot of things that you truly never, ever saw get, get built. There was a lot of commercial work where it was like strip malls and parking lots and things like that. Again, not that stimulating. There wasn't a lot of um, creativity. And I, I definitely got pigeonholed into what I was good at. So I was just pumping out CAD drawings. I was um, reviewing plans a lot and just drawing details. So it was like real production, just production, production. And I didn't, I didn't really see a way up in that company. So again, I <coughs> kind of wonder if you had been doing something a little bit more creative, if you had been in a different position, do you think you still would have gone out on your own to build? I, I'm just wondering if there's something inside you that's yeah, driven you probably to be a builder. Probably, yeah, because I just, I've, I have to use my hands. I'm not, I'm not satisfied just designing and being in an office setting. I, I got to see things come to fruition and be a part of that, that, that building. Um, so when I decided to go out on my own, I mean, at that point, I was doing probably 50 hours a week on salary there. And coming into that spring, I actually convinced them to just work um, the 50 hours um, Monday through Thursday and take Fridays off, and su surprisingly, they said yes. So what I did was, I, because I, I had this wall that somebody hired me to build, it was just like a, you know, a concrete block retaining wall. I was so desperate to build something. It was just a retaining wall with some steps and eventually a little planting. And that was like the first job I ever had on my own. So I, I hand dug this thing. It was like, <laughs> I hand dug this thing with you my- You must have been a lot younger. I was, man. <laughs> on Fridays, I'd go there, I'd dig it out like a crazy person, shovel everything into my um, Ford Ranger and then I drive my Ford Ranger to a spot where I'd have to take the shovel and dig it all back off my truck oh, little by little it took me months but they were cool with it 
because I, I knew their daughter and they just kind of like let me do it. And they were psyched because I probably got a really good deal. So that block wall job you got, you got that from Briggs, right? Well, th- that was a friend. That was a friend's parents. Oh, but but okay. working at Briggs, I mean, that was, I did the, the two 12-hour shifts. I did 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. on <laughs> Saturdays and Sundays. So I was doing the Monday through Thursday at the firm, 40 mm-hmm. to 50 hours. I was building that block wall by myself on Fridays and then doing the 24 hours at Briggs on the weekends. And why did you decide to work at Briggs? I mean, that's well, an insane amount of work. Well, first of all, I love that place. I live I live close by, and I would go there just about every week and like look at the house plants. They had these awesome greenhouses, and well, I would, they still do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh God, even bigger now. But I just I just loved it. And then I, I quickly realized working at the firm that I just did not know the plants the way I needed to know them. So for me, I'm not the kind of person to sit down and do the research. I just said, let me go get a job here. And I'll learn the plants. And um, they threw me right in the nursery in sales. And I would just deal with people coming in. Um, I mean, you've seen that place on the weekends. How many people come in to purchase plants? I had to learn those plants quick, and I had to sell them. And oftentimes, they'd come in with pictures of their house in a certain area, and I'd have to kind of like, you know, ask the right questions and help them pick out the right plants. So trial by fire. And honestly, working at Briggs, was the best thing I ever did to this day. Yeah, because those first initial jobs, that's where it came from. Right. You know, I think I I showed the work ethic there, and Gary was not warm. Yeah, he wasn't warm to me at first, (laughs) but I think he quickly see. Must have been those dreadlocks. (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely. (laughs) He saw I was dedicated. He saw I was working hard. So before you know it, they gave us, um, I mean, they do their own design and installation in-house, but they don't go outside of a certain, you know, radius. They gave us those jobs. Those first, I think it was like the first three jobs we got were from there, and those jobs spread to other jobs. And Samantha, they were good jobs. So it was, um, I was just, man, the, the best thing I ever did. Well, that, that's awesome. And I, and I just thought it was, would be really good for people to kind of hear how you got your start because we kind of, we keep harping on this idea that none of this stuff comes quickly or easily. So, you know, you don't just jump into running a business. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. No, you kind of did. I kind of did. Yeah. (laughs) And I kind of convinced you to help me. (laughs) All right. Well, that's right. We're going to get into that later. But, um, I think my bigger point is just that there was a process that you went through and very much a process of learning and experiencing before I think you really had the confidence to go out on your own. And I just think that's Mm. really important and uh, kind of similar to today's guest. So today we have Matt Heiner of Heiner Outdoor Living with us, yes. which we're really excited about. Absolutely. AKA the artist. AKA the artist. The man. All right. So let's get him in. Let's do this. So we are super excited today to have Matt Heiner of Heiner Outdoor Living with us. Um, Matt is based in Colorado Springs, Colorado, correct? That's right. And what's it like there in, in Colorado? Oh, man, we've got, it's an outdoor paradise, basically. We've got mountains, we've got skiing, there's mountain biking, hiking, anything outdoors you can do here, especially Colorado Springs. Uh, you have a mountain view of Pikes Peak anywhere wow. in town. It's pretty cool. Are you, are you originally from Colorado? I was born in Sacramento, uh, moved here to Colorado Springs when I was eight. And so I've been here ever since. So this is, this is basically home. Nice. So. 
I've driven through once. I uh, I spent the summer in um, college in a van. <laughs> well, in, I'm uh, laughing because I knew <laughs> in my head. I'm like, how long is it going to take yes. for Neil to tell Matt that he drove cross country in his Volkswagen <laughs> van <laughs> to it Colorado? Was, <laughs> it was an amazing summer, man. I was in Telluride. And oh, um, I just dro- right, so uh, I drove out there with no plans and just about enough money to get out there. And um, a friend of mine assured me I could get a job. And I did. I ended up getting a dishwashing job. And even okay. back then, it was like 15 bucks an hour because it was such a wealthy, wealthy town. So yeah. I was living large in a van. <laughs> it was awesome. Do you guys get a lot of gypsies like this one coming through? <laughs> You know, they, they come through, but they don't stay. What, you know, they go typically to those um, uh, those high-end ski towns like Telluride, Aspen, um, Vail, and whatnot. So, Well, high-end, you must have some, some high-end residences where, where you're at because your work is phenomenal, and um, that comes with a price tag. So what, what's the market like out there? You know, it's pretty good. I would say Colorado, Denver, Colorado Springs as a whole is probably some of the fastest-growing cities in in the nation right now, just with the demand of, like we talked about all the outdoor activities that are right here. And now we've got the big city amenities. And um, so, yeah, there's there's definitely a good market for, for landscaping since uh, outdoor living is such a, a huge part of our lives out here. That's awesome. Now, how far do you travel for work, for, for actually, um, for installations? You know, I, I think I've traveled as far as an hour and a half to two hours away from our shop just to do to do jobs. Um, one of my favorite projects that we've traveled for was downtown Denver at the Botanic Gardens. Oh, nice. It was just a way for me to, you know, do something in a public sense to kind of kind of in line with, you know, your guys' mission, which is, you know, to bring attention and, and more, you know, you know, show the artistry of, of what we can do. So that was really an opportunity for me to showcase you know, that part. So that's definitely something I'm really proud of. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. But we need to talk about your past a little bit. Okay. So we're, <laughs> we're going to delve into your past. Sure, this sure. is a family podcast. Let's remember. <laughs> I'll keep it clean. All right. So the year is 2008. There's a major recession going on. Unemployment is rampant. Everybody is worried. And you decide to start your business. So <laughs> what were you thinking? Uh, I was on that long list of unemployment, actually. Oh. <laughs> so um, I uh, rewind. I think the story, better off told, if we rewind probably two and a half, three years from there, I was actually working for uh, a corp, uh, like a big corporate landscape company, Brickman. I'm sure you've heard of them. Oh, they're yeah. Now, yeah, we have them out this way. They merged with uh, Valley Crest. Mm-hmm. So I was working for uh, Brickman back in the day as a operations manager doing work orders and whatnot. And uh, it was snowing and I was talking to one of our subcontractors that was doing uh, the plowing for one of our properties. And uh, he was like, hey Matt, have you ever thought about owning your own business? And I was like, yeah, it's always been something in the back of my mind. My, my grandfather owned his own business and he did really well with that, but I never got to meet him. Uh, he passed right before I was born. Uh, but that kind of always had that that thought in the back of my mind. That was something that I wanted to do. And so, you know, when he said that, that piqued my interest. And so I, uh, long story short, I quit my job at Brickman, went and worked for this gentleman with the understanding that I was gonna be his exit strategy. 
Oh. I was going to work for him for a couple of years and he was going to sell me his business piece by piece. Well, um, I was newly married. I was probably married a year and a half at that time. And that's when 08 happened and the economy just absolutely tanked. So I went from having this salaried corporate job with benefits to working for this smaller mom and pa company. And long story short, you know, I found myself unemployed two weeks before Christmas and I was looking at my wife going, well, that didn't quite work out. So sorry, babe. Uh, but, you know, you know, you know, my boss said, Matt, do what we all do. Just put yourself on uh, unemployment and we'll get through the winter. And then spring comes, we start back up. Well, bills don't stop. I don't stop. I'm just constantly moving around. So I'm thinking, how am I going to actually make this work and, you know, be a husband? I was, how old was I? I was 24 at the time. So I was, I was a little kid. Wow. Uh, and I uh, uh, got my first unemployment check attached to a letter saying, this is all you got. You, uh, this is <laughs> all you're going to put it you bluntly forfeited all your bun, uh, unemployment benefits because you quit your last job. I was like, but wait, I quit my last job because I was chasing opportunity. You're going to penalize me for trying to oh, live gosh. the American dream. Anyways, that's, that's how it goes. Um, so I took that 300 bucks. I had a logo design and some business cards printed and it was December with no economy. And I said, all right, I'm in business. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> I love like, Let's do this. I'm going for it. I didn't, I didn't even own shovels. I, I got hand-me-down shovels from my dad. I borrowed a trailer. I had a Jeep Cherokee that, you know, wobbled when it got above 55 miles an hour. I put some magnets on the side. I ended up getting my first job from, you know, Craigslist. That was still a thing. So I was wow. advertising on Craigslist. I was finding all ways I could to just put my name out there um, for free. Um, other ways I was getting jobs was uh, our supplier, they had a home and garden show booth and they said, hey, if you come and help us install the booth, we'll let you stand in the booth and pass out business cards. I had nothing but time. I didn't have any money. So I thought that was a pretty good deal. So I donated my time for a week in exchange to stand there and pass out business cards and say, hey, I'm Matt, I'm the landscaper. And so, yeah, that's what I did. I just kind of didn't look back really. All right. So there's so many things that you just said that I want to dissect. <laughs> the first is the fact that you took this chance when you were 24. And I'm just curious if you would have done that if you were older. You know what I mean? Like, are you the kind of person that is like, well, I'm just going to go for it and see what happens? Or do you think that was just being young and naive? I think I'm a serial entrepreneur at heart. I've got multiple multiple divisions in our company now i've done other business avenues where i've had partners and i've sold off my my side of things i've stuck with heiner outdoor living for years but now we've got design build we do just water features i've got a retail store attached to our company so i'm you know i'm like i call I, i tease sometimes i'm the disney of landscaping i do disney would do more movies so he could do more movies i like the landscape so i could do more landscaping so that's cool uh, i like that anything i can do to like keep growing and pushing the envelope that's i'm all about that but that's great that means you're a risk taker too which has its benefits but also has its well inherent risks right so it's it's a roller coaster ride for sure (laughs) now the other thing that i thought was interesting too is you kind of talking about the flower show idea it's just funny because in our last podcast we had been talking a little bit about marketing and how we had spent 
um, a lot of our marketing dollars and time into flower shows and that we actually ended up stepping away from that because we didn't feel like we were getting out of it what we put in. But I just think it's really awesome that that in a way that's how you got your start and you just by kind of giving out business cards, you did get opportunity from that. Um, so that's just kind of yeah. neat. And I think you're still doing those shows to this day, are you not? I, I thought you did one this past winter. You know, the, the artist in me loves doing them. It's kind of like a passion project. It's like the one time of the year where I get to be the client and I get to do mm -hmm. what I want to right, do. Right. Um, and so I like to do them. It's not the smartest business decision no, anymore. Not interesting. It's, it's I, I'm a big numbers guy and I look at the numbers and I track where my leads come from. And year after year, you know, I still get some trickle. It's exciting. You know, we email blast all of our past customers and we make it worthwhile. But as far as bringing in new business, it's that's I think there's there's much more efficient, better ways to do. Yeah, that it's, it's it seems very hit or miss. And I think I don't know about your area, but the Boston market um, and where, where we are, the flower shows. I mean, we had a big one. I don't know. 10, 15 years ago, even it's really shrunk in size. It used There's, to be huge. Yeah. Everybody used to go all out. That was the thing to do yep. winter. It was your first taste of spring. They put trees in the greenhouses and put the mm -hmm. super bloom feed on them and they were all in bloom and there's snow on the ground. It was exciting. It yep. used to be fun. And now everything is so digital. You know, we, they're lucky to get three people to set up a booth and you know, the traffic is just a third, yeah. 25% of what it used to be. Yep. There, so it's, there. but it's still the same amount of work for us landscapers. Right, so it's, right. yep. it's tough to justify. I think, you know, I, we had a team meeting after this last one, and I think we just did our last large booth. If we do it again, it'll be a 10 by 10 banner with a, with a TV screen uh, showing some before and after. Yeah. So. Yep. We've done the same thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so to just kind of backtrack a little bit to, to your beginnings, because it wasn't like you just woke up one day and said, I'm going to, you know, make these business cards. You had a lot of experience going in and it seems like you actually really started by working for your dad's company. Is that right? Your dad was a builder and you were on the landscaping crew. Yeah. Um, yeah, my dad was a builder and so he had, they did all their landscaping in house. And so it was me and one other guy and summer job from the age of 15 every summer even even in between you know even during school was happening all through high school i you know i've got that hands-on experience i learned how to drive a skid steer before i even knew how to <laughs> drive a truck so well, that's cool so you started doing all the labor so um much like we did and i think that really taught me to really respect the effort that goes into the job every day and as a manager of people I feel like I'm able to evaluate where they're at physically, you know, what task and what time during the year this job's taking a toll on them. So I think it makes, I mean, you could, could speak to it. Does it make you more of a compassionate um, business yeah, owner? It makes this more relatable to everybody from entry level jobs all the way on up. Yeah. For sure. Now, does your, do your, your guys and your crew, do they do everything from the pond builds to the, masonry where I see you, you're building stone walls and the flat work, the plantings, the drainage, are they doing everything or do you have crews that specialize in each task? So we've, we do almost everything. We sub out all of our concrete flat work. 
Um, and if it's a large masonry job, I'll sub that out. If it's a small masonry job, we'll do, we'll keep it in house. Mm -hmm. Um, and then other than that, the specialty trades like electric and gas, uh, we're pretty much doing everything you see in our pictures all ourselves. That's awesome. So, I mean, it takes, um, a real special person to be able to build a pond, you know, build a stone wall, build a patio, plant trees, you know, do some drainage. Do you find it's hard to find team members that are well-rounded like that and, you know, show up every day, you know, passionate to really do the full scope where they're not just doing one thing every day? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, that is definitely one of the hardest things <laughs> to find is that, that, that quote unquote, super foreman is what I like to call them. Mm -hmm. um, just because they are very well versed and you know, we're so small still of a company compared to some of those multi-million dollar companies that they do have to wear all those hats and yeah. they have to, they can't just drive around in a truck and check on crews. My guys in charge of these jobs are also pushing the shovel and working and ordering the materials. I put a lot of responsibility on, on those guys. So yeah, yeah. We're, we're in the exact same boat. I can totally relate to that. So it's, I found over the years, because we do so many different things on the job site, I think it's refreshing because I mean, I love personally building stone walls, but I don't want to do it every single day mm -hmm. throughout the whole season. But I found a lot of people through the interviewing process and people that we've had really like just doing one thing. Like that's what they're comfortable yeah. with, um, where I find it's refreshing to be able to plant trees personally. Yeah. I have to bounce around. I'm just like you, Neil. Like I, I love the craft, but then I need to, I'm bouncing around all the time. Like I can't, I can't stay focused in one area. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise I get bored. So <laughs> I definitely like, to, <laughs> I like to jump around and, and, you know, any more, you know, I love to, you know, management by wandering around almost. So <laughs> I just like it. I like that. I yeah. Like it. That's a good term. Gets it done. It works. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I was curious though, how many crews do you have more than one crew or how many people do you employ? I would say, yeah, we've got two main crews um, all throughout the year, but then in summertime, you know, we will take a, a man off of each crew and probably have a third kind of work order runaround crew. Mm. It's really important for me to kind of um, the follow through after the job, the work orders, the plant replacements, you know, hey, this settled, let's go fix that. So I, the customer service after the sale is really important to me. And I don't want to just tell people, hey, we'll be there when we're in the neighborhood. It's, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I want to get that done and check that off within a few days of that call. So oh, that's um, great. So I because I, I can imagine um, with the pond build, it seems like there's probably a lot of finessing after the fact. Like when you say things settle, we've had the experience where the liner can settle in a certain area. Things aren't performing the way you expect them to. So do you, is that real hands-on after the fact, getting back there? Yeah, it's, it's almost expected that, you know, there's going to be a sh like a, an edge that just settles a little bit. And then if it settles, the water's going to go up and over the liner and you're going to have a leak and it's going to drain down. They're going to be calling you. And mm -hmm. most of the time, it's just a matter of going out there, moving a couple of rocks, finding where it's that low edge is lifting up the liner, packing it and putting it back together. You're in and out in 10, 15 minutes, but, nice. um, but you got to have that team that knows what that is, knows how to find it. Right. Constantly pouring into them and investing in them. And if you don't have jobs, you're using that as an opportunity for training and cross training and switching guys from crews. So that way they can kind of learn different techniques. And, nice. um, you know, I, I know my younger brother, my youngest brother worked with me 
And so I'll send him to a lot of the Aquascape trainings as well. So he's got that, that firsthand experience of going to, you know, the actual academies and, and learning from the best. So and it how, helps. And, and how is that having family involved? You know it's what they good. say about family and friends yeah, and business. I, I'm harder on him than I am anybody else, that's for sure. Um, also like Samantha with me. I think what helps us too is uh, we come from a family of four boys. And so I'm the oldest, he's the youngest. And so there's not a lot of that um, that childhood, you know, memories of me beating up on him. It was, <laughs> it was the brother that I would beat up on would then turn around and beat up on him. So he doesn't have any of those like grudges of, you know, childhood memories like that. Uh, so I think that helps that there's enough distance in between us. And uh, I've really put him in charge of our water feature division and just letting him try to run with it. And he's just, he's loving it. He's, you know, he's got, um, he just loves the ecology, the science side of things. Oh, so yeah. he started his own Instagram account, the uh, the polylog, you know, so oh, it's cool. it his personality perfectly. It's hilarious. Oh, so, I love it. What what percentage of your business is the water features? Because it looks to me, it looks like it's a huge part of it. It's a growing division. I would say it's probably thirty uh, percent now. Uh, oh wow! As opposed to like design build being sixty five, and then retail and everything else is probably five percent. Mm -hmm. so. Oh yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the retail because um, I think I remember maybe about a year or so ago seeing you working on your retail space has that space been up about a year now or so um i think we've been there three years now yeah <laughs> good job samantha <laughs> well researched samantha but well done for you We're constantly working on it and trying to improve it you know i'm 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 always working on a shoestring budget so you know like everything is remodeled with old pallets from jobs and we upcycled those to kind of make it look urban and hip and nice. And so everything that I've done in there was just on a shoestring budget, but I'm tr trying to create that high end crisp look. So that must be really rewarding. So I imagine that's where you're designing. That's where you're bringing your clients to, to show them your designs. And then what are you selling out of there besides um, the design? Yeah, so the, I would say the actual products that we're selling out of there are, you know, the water feature, like water treatments, uh, we've got koi fish there. We've, we'll sell filtration replacement parts, um, but we've expanded into like uh, Lynx barbecue grills, which is oh, a high-end nice. uh, barbecue line. Um, we were this off season. We just picked up a you know a few lines of outdoor furniture uh, and artificial turf. So we're really trying to build on anything outdoor living that kind of falls under the umbrella of you know inspiring life outside, which is kind of our our mission and our uh, our tag is is kind of what I'm open to bringing in. Well, again, too, I think, you know, we're talking about risk and being an entrepreneur, but to open up a retail area. So I imagine, I would imagine if you're anything like us, your trucks, equipment, leftover piles and piles of stone <laughs> Guil are guilty. in one location. Yeah. And then I would expect that this is its own location. Is that correct? Yeah. It, thankfully, they're like on the same street and they're pretty connected. Like I, I could walk to where our yard space is, but it's just, it's, it's close enough to where it still feels connected, but just far enough to where, you know, clients can pull up to the retail store and the design center and feel like it's, um, you know, feel like it's presentable and retail worthy. So it's not, they're not pulling up into like a construction site. 
that's that's great that that's amazing but again um so i guess my point is so you took another risk or another kind of stab at okay i'm going to build onto my business now so now i'm going to jump into Sorry, this yeah, yeah okay I, yeah i'm with you so at, at what point well i kind of have two questions at what point did you feel comfortable about taking on that next step and then i also want to know i just don't want to forget to ask you um at what point in your business did you feel like you were going to make it so those are kind of two different things, but I definitely want to go back to that idea because I want to get a- across the point that this stuff does not happen overnight at all. Yes. <laughs> so talk about so, jumping into the retail space. Sure. First. So uh, jumping into retail was kind of something that I always thought would be fun. I was driving to our supplier. And so we've got this big supplier called CNC Sand and Stone, and they're known in town for having any stone and every stone left over all the way following back to like, they probably have piles left over from the seventies. You, know, <laughs> wow. you know, like they've got everything. And then there was this old house that was kind of right in the middle of their operation. And I had no idea who owned it or where it came from, but I reached out to the owner of the supply yard and said, Hey, what's the story of that house? And he said, well, you know, I've been trying to rent it to employees. I own it. I've been trying to rent it to employees. And why? What, you know, what do you think? I said, I, well, I think it'd make a good office location maybe. And he's like, well, today it's your lucky day. It's becoming available next month. You want to take a look at it? I said, uh, sure. And so anyways, the conversation rolled into, Hey, have you ever thought about carrying water feature parts? Because we carry it, but I'm thinking about getting out of that. And I'm like, Oh, uh, sure. So, you know, it was kind of always on my thing. And so that kind of fell onto my lap. And so when we moved in there, I took the whole off season and we just really remodeled that into a kind of like a retail worthy space where the ideas just kept, kept thinking about it. I'm like, all right, well, if I'm bringing people here, this can, you know, let's turn this into like a, a meeting place so we could showcase the designs and we put the TV on the walls. And, um, it's, and then I ended up buying a golf cart so we could, you know, show the designs and pick out the materials and then say, Hey, let's jump on the golf cart. Let's go through and we'll tag boulders and landscape design into like an experience as opposed to just like a store, just as, as opposed to like, I'm sure you know the song and dance where you're at the kitchen table and the kids are knocking the milk on your plans and mom (laughs) is chasing and saying, turn down the TV and, you know, and you're just trying to figure out how to keep things focused. Now, they're coming into your space. They're kind of getting into the zone and you're getting them excited and um, you're riding the golf cart. It's, it's fun. So that's, I, that's, we try to, I'm just trying to find a way. How can I make this fun? And I want you to love your backyard when we're done. Yeah, that is critical too. the point that you, you, you said that you're getting everybody in there. How many meetings have we had where the husband is there or the wife's late or the wife's, you know, the husband's late and they're like, oh, he'll be here in another 15, 20 minutes that you have to represent it or somebody for whatever reason isn't there. And it's like, you can't present these plans to one person in their team. Um, you really have to have their undivided attention. So I can see that being exactly. huge. Yeah. And talk about something happening that was just meant to be. I mean, I, I have this saying where I feel like having a successful business is 95% hard work and 5% luck. And it just seems like, you know, when you get that lucky point, it can be a total game changer. And it just seems like everything just happened to work out for you. The timing just happened to work out just perfectly. And then I, that I always disagree with her because 
I don't like the luck part. Only, only in that, only in that, we're married. This is a marital thing. But in, if he never asked the question, he may have never known about that structure, that house. So he made his own luck, if you will. Yeah, by but putting it just himself out there to be available. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I, I guess. believe the harder you work, the luckier you get. I okay. like that. <laughs> I can buy that. Um, thanks for the, the second thanks part for the of counseling. your question, Samantha. I, you know, when did I feel like I was actually going to make it? Yeah. Um, so we've been in business eleven years. I'm going on my twelfth season being in business for myself. I would say. It was probably October last year. I felt like I'm going to be okay. <laughs> nice. Now, like, are, that is such that an honest, home. that is such yes. an honest, refreshing answer. So thank you. And that's <laughs> what people, pe Matt, people need to hear that. So that is, that Absolutely. is awesome. You know, like, I, I think in this world of Instagram, it's so easy to, I've got a baby face. I'm going to forever look like I'm 13 years old. So <laughs> I, I think it's, it's important for people to know that you know, just because we've got these nicer photos of jobs that we've done and that kind of stuff. Like, you know, I've been in this landscaping game for 20 years now. Yeah, you know, I've been pushing wheelbarrows and learning the craft and, and self teaching myself design and just being my worst critic and trying to find a way to make it better. And it's a seasonal business. So not only are you mm -hmm. trying to learn a craft, but then, you know, you have we're like farmers, you have, you know, you have six, seven months to make all make all the bread and then you know, the phone stops ringing, you go into survival mode and then winter hits or, you know, this commercial job didn't plan out. That was going to be 10% of our revenue at the very end of the season. And now I've got no cash flow, 11 employees and families that I'm responsible for. I would say the hardest year in business that I had was not this year, this last year, but 2018, you know, was the hardest year in business for me because the, wow. the, the cards just keep getting stacked higher and Mm -hmm. Things didn't quite work out for me, and I could have given up easily, you know. But it's well, just not my blood. I'm so glad you came on this podcast, Matt, because I said it before, but this is what people need to hear. Because I've gone through those that that moment. You had that moment in 2018. I've had these moments where they, it lasts a week of just doubt, like, what am I doing? Why am I working so hard? What am I getting out of this? Um, and it started to be almost an annual thing for me at a certain time of year where I had to really kind of um, do some self-reflection and correct that. And I think I've gotten much better at that, but it was a learned process, man. I had to really look at myself um, to, to, to come to grips with it. Um, but ultimately, and it sounds like this is what makes you go, is that passion that you have for this industry and what you're doing and the creativity behind it that's what always keeps me rolling. Like I just, I could never quit because I love it so much. Um, is it just how you feel? Oh, absolutely. I, I see a new thing or an idea, like following you guys and following other landscapers, especially on Instagram, it's been a huge source of inspiration and motivation. I'll see something that I like. I'm like, I have to put that into, into one of the jobs that I do. And you know, there's, there's, I, I don't know about you guys, but do you feel like you've got a certain design element that every time it's like the kiss of death, you put it into a design because you want to build it so bad. But then like, for whatever reason, you put that in the design and it never, the deal just falls apart for this, that, or the other um, reason. Um, um, Matt, no, we have no idea what you're talking about. We've never done that. I could tell just by the way you're smiling. So that she thinks... Almost, 
I set the bar up pretty high, I think, early on because of my crazy brain and the things I wanted to build. So she thinks I can do anything. I love that question. And only the last few years, I'm looking at her like, who, do you, who the hell do you think I am? Like, I can't. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not the one that comes up with the crazy ideas. <laughs> well, I guess I you do too. You come up with the crazy ideas before you even met the client. Well, I do do that. I'm not. <laughs> oh, no, with the project. <laughs> yes. Thankfully, I have her. I, so, I, I, so pre, yeah, I pre-designed. You have, have no idea what you're talking about. None. <laughs> but you like to challenge yourself. Oh, yeah. Speaking of challenge. Only, we're only in competition with ourselves. I really I believe know. that. Well, speak- there's, there's so much work out there for everybody, but, you know, we can get as big or as, as small as we all want. There's, there's enough work to go around. Yeah, and I feel like pushing the envelope, I'm seeing that with your designs. I'm seeing it, especially with the latest pond that you've – um, done that amazing three-day rendering on um, where the patio, it's the circular patio, is sunken below the pond level. And you have this detail that I think I've seen through your stories where you're able to get the edge of the patio right at water's edge, which I yep. really respect and love what you're doing there. Um, just because, I mean, even going back 10, 15 years ago, um, ponds were getting really big here. There was a lot of rocks between your hardscaping and your pond's edge, and you've made it a much more intimate experience. Trying to find a, I'm trying to create a hybrid between pools and ponds. Nice. Uh, and I've been forced into that because I don't have a single uh, pool contractor that I can subcontract uh, pool construction. And since we're uh, ponds are kind of one of our specialties i figured how can i create these intimate pool like patio uh, type edges and that's kind of evolved uh but funny you say that that's that you know that's that's the kiss of death that i'm in the <laughs> midst of redesigning that entire project just because you know we designed it to a, her budget but now the budget came back as uh 25 of what we originally spoke when we started the design so i'm like oh. Well, but I have this in 3D because this is how I'm going to see it for really in the times now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so, all right, this is really interesting because we're on a job right now, Matt, where we had a really awesome budget to work with initially. Everything was looking great. They well, were. Well, no, they didn't give us a budget okay. initially. Well, let's say the final estimate with the whole kit and caboodle, everything they wanted, we presented it to them and they were stoked at the meeting. They sent you messages that night. They were in love with it. The next, was it the next day? They wanted to shave $100,000 off no, of this 200. job. $200,000 off of this job. Wow. And um, to show you where the budget was initially. So we made modifications. It was almost to the point where I just thought we were going to lose it like it wasn't worth it. But we did some things. We eliminated a lot of masonry, um, replaced it with bouldering and things of that nature. Um, but then, so, so we went forward. Mm-hmm. And this has happened to us a couple of times. I'm wondering if this happened to you. Once you start building, you think you have this solid number that they want to stay at and it gets, can get to be stressful, but then they start to add things in. Like, it's like all <laughs> yeah. of a sudden they're adding, I mean, they're adding things like $15,000 here, $6,000 here. I know when we could have put that uh, towards things in the beginning, that would have made for kind of a better end solution product. yeah, product, yeah. That, has that happened to you even on like a, a it's happened to us on some smaller scale stuff too i would say not not to the level that you've experienced it but i've def- definitely had things happen where we get started we build the patio and the patio's done and you know 
and, and I'm just saying, man, have you ever thought of put, adding the sound of water back here? And they're like, yeah, we would love to add a pond. I'm like, well, you know, this would be a great spot for it. And before you know it, you know, I'm walking out with you know, deposit check to build a $10,000 pond. <laughs> nice. It just happened earlier this week. So yeah. That's I, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Definitely just... no, but it wasn't even a thought on the process because they didn't think that they could, you know, ask them originally like, no, no, we just want to start with this. We, you know, we don't want to spend more than $20,000 back here. And, you know, $35,000 later, we've got a pretty, you know, kick-ass backyard. So speaking of ponds, since we're talking about ponds, we did want to talk to you about the pond at your house a little bit. Mm. Because it, it seems like, well, what came first, the house or the pond vision? Because yeah. it seems like you have the exact perfect site to do what you did. So my wife and I had the house built, but I had the idea of the lot in my head before we even found this thing. We went on the hunt for a lot like this, and we saw in the master plans of the community that they were building that there was gonna be some cul-de-sac lots coming down the line. We didn't even know if it was gonna be a few weeks or a few months or a few years. Well, you know, so we, we you know, we actually went onto the county assessor's website, downloaded the, the plans for the entire neighborhood and said, yep, there's the cul-de-sac lot. And I wanted a hillside just so I could have waterfalls coming towards the house. We could look out the back windows and enjoy the, the, the sights and sounds of the waterfalls. And I'll sit there and watch those over the TV all the time in the wintertime. I bet. I love it. Yep. And now is it a swimming pond? Yep. The kids will go swimming in it. It's Uh, it's the first one we ever built. That's awesome. So let's talk about that. Because <laughs> we I, have a I, dream. Yeah, we, we want one. Dream. We want one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to start building them too. I mean, I think the aesthetic of them falls right into our aesthetic too. Yes. Um, but just so talk just a little bit about the difference between a swimming pond per se and a traditional pond and maybe the difference in the builds if there is any. Yeah, the, as far as like the aesthetics of what you're going to see, there's not going to be a whole lot of difference. The main difference between a traditional pond and a, and a, and a swimmable pond is going to be the amount of filtration that you design and put into it. So you're going to need a lot more pumps, a little bit more circulation. So mine has a three pumps, uh, one for each waterfall and then one for like a jet system to help circulate and turn all the water over. Um, and then I also have a really large, um, intake bay, which kind of acts as like a, a skimming device so it chokes down and then opens back up and then it allows the water to pass through a bunch of series of rock and gravel where it's going to cleanse that rock and that beneficial bacteria is going to eat it and um and and keep that water healthy to truly make it a a swimmable pond too and keep it legal and that kind of stuff you're going to want to trade out those submersible pumps for an external pump so that's just a a minor detail but um but so that's that is something that needs to be done to to keep it compliant because you don't want to mix swimming bodies with electricity and water if it's just kind of uh, oh yeah i guess that would make sense it doesn't make sense <laughs> that, would, that would be the that would be the only main reason for that so i'm, I'm glad we asked we have some extra pumps it. and i think we could just right. throw them in and throw the kids in the water and we'll be good <laughs> to me though that is one of the more exciting things in this industry right now are those natural swimming ponds and um, i think yeah i, I, I agree 
I, I find myself staring at your account, looking out your back window as well, quite a bit. Because <laughs> oh, you've, well, you've showed it. We're just it. hanging out with you I all the time. You don't even know it. You have these like awesome twilight shots and you have um, some stories with the snow and it's just like, man, that is gorgeous. I love it. It's just kinetic all the so time. Much. It's an ecosystem in your backyard. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, what I love about it is it's 100% chemical free. You know, the maintenance is slim to none the way that I have it designed. Uh, just because that intake bay on the other end also acts as a um, kind of a protection area to where, you know, when the water drops, it's not going to drop all the way. It's going to, you know, I'd, I only have to fill up my pond probably once every four to six weeks. Wow. And I've got a small patch of grass that's smaller than the pond. And I put more, probably seven <laughs> times more water on that grass and way more maintenance into right. that grass. <laughs> right. So people look at that and I get comments all the time like, yeah, but that's a pretty penny to, to maintain and a lot of maintenance. And I'm like, really, it's not. You know, I try and go for that naturalistic design approach to where you can just let the plants go a little wild and yeah. it's not manicured. And the more it grows together and creates a canopy that chokes out the weeds and the less maintenance you have to do. Oh, so. yes. Preach, brother. Preach, please. I know. That, <laughs> uh, preach. But so from a, from a marketing standpoint, what is that? pond done for you i don't think i would be here today if i didn't build that so, pond. that is awesome so how old is it it's uh about it's going to be on its third season so it's okay. not even three years old okay so i i really just kind of once again you know i didn't build that just to be selfish and use it i used it i built that to be a marketing vessel for yes. me to kind of showcase like well nobody's gonna just hire me and pay me $150,000 to build a pond of this scale unless they see it. Right. You know, you're not going to go buy a Ferrari for 150 bucks if you don't get to test drive it. Yeah. So I've thought like what better opportunity than to, to build it, own it, live with it. I can't, I can't sell it any better than I can now knowing exactly what goes into maintaining it, exactly what it takes to build it. Um, I just, I bought that experience by putting it in my own backyard and now I get to take pictures and, like you said, I've got those twilight shots. You know, some of those are because I'm just hanging back there. I'm like, oh my gosh, babe, look at the sunset. And I yes. run, I grab the camera and I'm like staging and throwing pillows up where it needs to be. And, <laughs> and they get the and fire so, going. It's phenomenal, man. It is. Yeah. It did a and so I, awesome I wouldn't have that. that opportunity if it was at my client's house across town. So no doubt to grab some of those shots. Now, are you finding, are people asking you for these swimming ponds? Is it starting to become a trend it's or is there still starting to trickle in? You yeah. know, I think... There, we still need a little bit of education yes. on how much these things are going to cost because uh, they're not cheap. You know, I think for the smallest one to build all that infrastructure and everything, you're probably looking at a $85,000, $90,000 price tag for the smallest uh, swim pond. And that's just the pond. Forget the hardscape and surrounding landscape. Right, right. So, okay. um, you know, and, and so, you know, I think I need to do a little bit better job of maybe educating the public on, on what these things cost, that it is in that realm of, of swimming pools. Um, but I think it's going to take off. All right. So let me ask you a question. If you're Neil and Samantha <laughs> and you really want to build one in your own yard for all the exact same reasons, <laughs> can Neil and Samantha do it in a phased approach Ooh. or is it really one shot it's got to just all be done at once it's it's a one shot type of thing yeah you're gonna have you can't stop once you once you start um and that said it took me six months to build my backyard just because we were doing it after work on the weekends you know and it 
and we pushed through and, and I mean, candidly, you know, we built it with leaks, you know, we built it and <laughs> unbuilt it and had to find it and patch them. And, and I wanted to cry. I wanted to fill it in and I wanted to just, you know, oh. even just building that, that back, backyard pond. But I just wanted, I had to figure it out. And, you know, and, and I think during that process, I found out that my now lead foreman can carry the torch with these built better than I could myself ever. Nice. So now I can design them and I can just say, Hey, here's the planning. I'd say, great. Now get off my job site. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think a lot of good things happened through that struggle. Oh boy. I remember we built a pond, one of our bigger ponds, man. I had that moment too, where I was, I just wanted to give up because it wasn't working out. It just wasn't working out. I thought I had leaks. I didn't. It was the way I sized everything. And it was just, it was demoralizing, but I learned so much through that process. Yeah, we missed a concert with one of our favorite oh, an, musicians an because epic of that concert pond. in New York. Oh, I know. He I was know. too upset. Like he was, he was too unfocused, all, and I'm like, forget it. We'll just give the tickets away. I just stayed there all weekend <laughs> trying to figure out what was going on. What was going on? Oh, why I couldn't man, get I know to, the feeling. Why oh, I couldn't get it to yeah. flow? Yeah, I, I've sold what I, I what I probably built for sixty thousand dollars. I sold for twenty thousand dollars back when I first started building these things because I wanted to build them. I was just drawn to the water and yeah, I've paid for that education. So, you, you know, like, you know, now that I feel like I've got it dialed in on what these things cost and what I can, what I can charge for these things. Like, you know, and now I've got the brand showing and I think that backyard really helped me to kind of showcase that lifestyle that we're. Oh, I'm creating. sure. I'm sure. And that's like a, another great lesson for, for people that are coming into the business. Cause I'm sure you get, a lot of DMS and people asking you for advice. I've had a few people ask me about, you know, how I got, how we got started. And you're talking about a investing in yourself cause you invested in that pond, right? The time yeah. and the money it took to build it. And, um, you did some okay, jobs yeah, and you, <laughs> and you did some jobs where you didn't get, I mean, you put probably a hundred percent more into that job than you got reimbursed for because you, you wanted those first few portfolio pieces I know oh, yeah. it's, it's, it sucks to, to, to realize that at that point, you but put yourself short, yeah. but you got to prove your worth, yep. you know, like you got, you got to put yourself in the client's shoes for a second and, you know, and think if I have a quarter million dollars, I want to spend into my backyard and put the best back there. I want to hire the best. Yeah. And how do you yeah. become the best? You gotta, you gotta prove yourself as the best by showing that you've been there, done that. And if you have, haven't been there, done that, why are they going to want to hire you to do that best job that they've saved their entire lives to do if you don't have the proof that you're going to deliver? Yeah. And so, all along the way, man, you're proving it yeah, to yourself. So you're proving it to yourself. You're not going to invest in you. You have to invest in yourself. Yep. All right. I'm preaching, man. I yeah, love I know. this. You this guys is good. are like going for it. That's great. We have podcast number two coming down the road at some point. <laughs> Um, well, I would love to talk to you a little bit about what you see is the value of the 3D renderings because, so I'm going to be totally honest here. I have a little um, intrepidation or that's not the right word. And I don't trust some of the 3D renderings that I'm seeing in that I feel like they're too perfect in a way. I feel like okay. landscapes are very fluid and they change they start off at a certain point before they become this lush backyard and they never, I can tell you after 15 years of doing this, they never fill in the way you think they're gonna fill in. They're, they're always changing and evolving. And so I wonder, I, I worry with some of the stuff I'm seeing that 
Um, we're setting up expectations for clients that can't actually be met. And I know you do a lot of this, so I'm kind of wondering how do you balance the reality of a landscape going in with these kind of perfect renderings? Well, first off, you're absolutely right. It's, I, I like to call it, it's like a double-edged sword. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's cutting edge on one end and really gets the client excited, but then, you know, it's almost so realistic that they'll have that to refer back to and just say, Hey, you know, like we built a pond list where, you know, the, where the basin was in the video, it was showing some water in the basin, but then when you build it, it basically just goes into the gravel and then disappears. And the client called me out on it. And I was like, well, uh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so I was just like, well, that is what it is. You know, the the computer's not perfect. You know, it's, You know, and, and I, it's, I think it's all about setting expectations and just kind of just trying to explain to the client and then not over design it in 3D as well. You know, right. we do have a little bit of control, but, you know, as, as an innovator at heart, I'm always pushing what we can do with some of that 3D technology. And it's hard to put all those plants in there because when these models, they all come with the flowers on it. Right, and right. I've got like every plant in my 3D is in flower, in bloom. <laughs> well, all right, I so have right. to say, I have to say, I did see some of them. And I'm like, wait a minute. There's You're like, no, 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 no. That's spring. That's fall. That doesn't work. <laughs> so, you know, the computer certainly has its limitations, and I think it'll catch up. Right. But you know, it's. I think it still has that cool factor, and I think as long as you explain to the client, look, we're having fun. This is really going to show you. Please know everything is in bloom right now. It's not going to be like that. I kind of have the disclaimer before I turn it on. I really think as a communication tool, people like you and I, we can we can look at those plans and we know exactly what it's going to look like. Right. We're, we're visionaries. We, right. can, we can see it in our minds. And sometimes people that don't look at plans every day, they don't get it. And you right. put in that 3D. And I've done I've done a lot of split testing, even with my Instagram, where you know I'll post the 2D pick. And then I'll do the same angle in 3D and I'll just look at the likes and the engagement. Right. And 3D just kills it every single time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, yeah. Because right, right, right. people just really see it, you know, and, you know, I mean, some, it's funny too, because I'll put like before and afters of what I see and I, I've learned, I need to start labeling my 3Ds as this is the design because people get mad on the internet. They're like, really? This, you know, not the same house or Photoshop is great. I'm like, Relax, relax. <laughs> this is the design presentation that I give to uh, show you no. what we're going to build, you know? Right. Uh, and, and that being said, I, I'm 100% in agreement with you. The install is a fluid prog- process. So, you know, I know that I, I want to set the bar high and I still want to over deliver with my projects. I mean, talk about detail, man. I, I go right to the stone. The last one, one of the last ones I saw that you did. I mean, you guys modeled the boulders exactly oh, like dude, the boulders dude. that I'm seeing in your region. I, I was collaborated impressed. with the best landscape 3D artist in the industry. And he literally, mod- like 90% of the plants, he modeled himself in that. That is uh, insane. He even used like V-Ray and used uh, like naturalistic waterfalls. But we sat there for eight hours and placed all those boulders that he downloaded, which were 3D scanned rocks. So they were real rocks. Incredible. Pictures of the stone I wanted to use. And he made custom textures and wrapped all these rocks with the stone that I wanted that we were going to use on the project. Cause you, so, you, 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 you nailed. We, we, we got to let our kid in. Oh, just, 
All right, sorry. <laughs> come sorry, in. I know you probably come see us. Quick. We keep like looking over. We're like, it's no, right. bound to happen. I, no. I knew exactly what it was. What it was. <laughs> yeah, I got kiddos. What's up, buddy? Oh, he, wants to go, he wants to go on the computer. Go ahead. Whatever P- you want. You PBS. Can do whatever you want right now. So, um, Ice cream and M&Ms. Here I come. Bye. Love you. You're the best. Um, 10, almost 10 and 8. Um, correction. So, uh, correction. Almost 9. <laughs> Wait a minute. And seven. Oh yeah, jeez. <laughs> well, that's what how old my kids are. I, I don't know how old your kids are. My 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 oldest will be nine next month, and my my youngest is seven right now. Oh, that's I, awesome. I saw one of your stories. This was a couple weeks ago. I think your kids were sliding down the stairs in like sleeping bags or something. <laughs> yeah. That looked. I was like that. That's something that would be going on when dad's home. Mama's not home. Oh yeah. That was wild. I promote it. I'm I'm the I'm the big kid of us all. That's awesome. <laughs> Oh, now is your wife involved in the business at all? Um, she was for a very short time and I don't think we work quite as well as you two do, but, uh, she's, uh, she stays at home now. So. Well, that's nice. Does she tolerate all your, um, shenanigans and late, she, late, late hours? She's and... got coping mechanisms. She's definitely learned how to <laughs> have to, have to deal with me and, and the roller coaster known as entrepreneurialism. Yeah. So. As one of those cope, as one of those coping mechanisms, the the Bloody Marys you posted the other day, because those like she good. doesn't like my bloodies, but she likes some of the other drinks. So she's, right. she'll go to the wine or, or just kind of look at me with this look like, I don't want to hear it tonight. Okay. <laughs> so. Can we get that Bloody Mary recipe at some point? Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. Nice. Pass down family recipe. Ooh, all right. I like yeah. it. But then, but then again, it's always served with a no guarantee because it's different every time. <laughs> I, I always remember my dad as a kid making those bloodies and going, here you go, no guarantees, so. <laughs> it's not gonna be like the last time. I think one of the last questions that I have for you is at what point, cause I feel like we're kind of latecomers to the whole social media thing and I always kind of blame me for that because I'm a real creature of habit. I'm pretty sure I had like another life in the 1700s and I yeah. <laughs> kind of lived there. <laughs> and that's why you're in, she's intimidated by the 3D renderings as well for that same reason. <laughs> so, <laughs> what are these 3D renderings? How the hell? That's yeah. Not real. It's like the last thing she can add to her tasks during the day. <laughs> okay, okay. But so what I what I would kind of like to know is you know at what point in your company in your career did you realize how helpful it could be for you. And I mean, is, and is it really helpful? Do you get work out of your social oh, yeah. media? I, it started out as a, a place where I could geek out with some landscape stuff. Cause I've got the business account, which I, I post a little bit too, but then I started the Yardist mm-hmm. account as a place where I could be a little bit more transparent. It could be a little less professional, a little bit less about business, maybe a little bit more about me as the, the entrepreneur and the artist and, you know, geek out about certain things. And then, it started to take off. I, you know, I saw a couple landscape uh, accounts out there that really had a huge following and that kind of opened up my eyes. I'm like, I didn't even know that, you know, a landscape account could have 80,000 followers. Like mm. that's mind blowing to me. And, you know, and so I reached out to, to that person. So that's Jack Kelly with uh, Imagine. And um, so it started chatting with him and that kind of really, open my eyes to the opportunities of what this digital world does and is. Well, that, that, that's awesome. I, I do love the transparency that I've seen on some of your stuff. I think at one point you were answering some questions through stories on Instagram and somebody asked you what it was, what it, I think what it was like to be a designer or something uh, to those terms. And you said at one point that it can actually be lonely at times, um, which I, 
really can relate to because you you do spend as a designer, I mean, at least we do at times, a lot of times by ourselves. In your head. Focused. Like in your own head. Yeah, like it's not just at the table. It's when you're driving. It's um, when you're taking a shower, just hyper-focused on what that next, I don't What's know, problem is to solve. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally, yeah. 100%. Like, a, but my wife blames it on my phone and then my phone was, will be plugged in the other room. She'll be like, Matt, Matt. <laughs> I'm like, what? What? I'm just in my head, just thinking about a design or something. And I'm yeah. like, sorry, babe. See, I told you it's not it's not the phone. It's it's just me. It's the personality. Like, yeah, I can still work on that though, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you're right. Sorry. But trying to be more present. It seems to me like I mean the impression that I get from um comments that are made through your page and stuff, it seems like you've really taken on a mentor um persona with some younger people in the business and people that want to start their businesses. Um is that true? And, and ha that must be rewarding, I would think. Yeah, it's it's not something I ever really like put on my to-do list, but it's kind of like been a way that I could get back and it feels good, you know? Yeah. It definitely feels good to kind of teach these kids some of the things. And uh, I think it's super important to set the proper expectations of like, look, you know, you know, I, I've, I'm one of the first things I always say, look, you're looking at 20 years of, of, of drive and, and hard work and, and, you know, overcoming failure, you know, this, this mm -hmm. did not happen overnight, you know, mm -hmm. I'll answer a lot of the same questions and I'll turn it into a post. So that way I can almost just tag up and send them one of my posts so they can oh, read cool. the, the deeper story is one way that I've kind of helped, you know, do that. But I didn't have much of a mentor when I was starting out and I, I think I wish I did. It's great that you're, you're, you know, really informing people how hard it is, but at the same time, through your example, they're able to see that this is possible and they can make it happen. We definitely can't let you go without talking about the stone in your area. So let's talk stone. Let's have it. Because we, so we've noticed that, I mean, what you have in Colorado seems to be so different natively to what we have here. So a lot of the stone in your ponds, it's very square or rectangular. It's, you know, here it's all round and it's small. Can you talk about the stone you have? Well, what also too, what I want to add to that is you have a very deep um, appreciation of stone, which is super awesome to see because... From New England, sometimes I feel like we're so isolated here because it's just stone everywhere with our stone walls and our boulders. It's really refreshing to see other parts of the country, you know, because some parts of the country really don't, don't have, have stone to work with at all. Yeah, and, and, and that's that's interesting to hear because, you know, Colorado is called Colorful Colorado. I don't know if you know that or not, but Colorful mm -hmm. Colorado comes from all the earth that we have. So the stone I have in, in my pond is from a quarry 45 minutes from my house, or eh, it's probably an hour and 15 minutes from my house down south. And that's more of like a hard sandstone, but we've got granite that ranges from colors from pink to black to white. Oh, nice. To, um, you know, and then we've got round granite boulders as well. We've got angular granite. Um, you know, some are speckled, some are gray. So we've got pink stone, red stone. I mean, we've got, it's crazy the, the amount of colors that we have in stone to choose from uh, to build with. That's cool. And what an asset to have native materials where you start thinking about that, using that versus importing stones from other countries, the carbon yep. footprint. There's huge advantages to working with your native materials. So that, 
that sounds like a playground to me, man. That sounds awesome. One of my last questions is, you know, we've all kind of made mistakes being business owners, you know, in our builds. And I, I think we were wondering, what do you think any mistakes that you've made, um, you can kind of pass on what you've learned to other people? I did not word that the way. <laughs> <laughs> what would you tell? So you make mistakes all the time, Matt. Yeah. So. <laughs> you screw everything right. up. Okay, I mean, you know what? Here's the thing, you're, right? You're, you're <laughs> speaking truth, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think we we're trying to get too philosophical with the question. So let's just keep it really simple. What would you say to other people <laughs> or young people coming up in this industry, either what to do or what not to do? Just kind of things that have really, um, that you've learned from that you could pass on to someone else. That's an easier way to ask it. I think just with, with anything, you know, work the job you want, not the job you have. Um, you know, don't be afraid to take responsibility and, and show interest that you want to learn the next state, you know, the next level of something. And then, uh, and then just be proactive about that stuff. Things aren't going to be handed to you. You're going to have to, you're going to have to show and prove to other people that, that you want it and that you're hungry for it. Um, and that effort is going to be recognized and it's going to be rewarded. Honestly, too, the, the passion has to be in the journey and the process. It's not in the final product. It's not in that because as soon as we're done with one project, we're on to the next, you know, so it's, you know, if you, and it, if you don't have struggle along the way, you're, the reward isn't going to feel as good at the end. So, you know, like that's, that's all part of looking back and going, man, look at what it took to get here. Like, this mm. is awesome. You know, mm. if it were easy, anybody would do it. Mm. So. Yeah, but once in a while, if it was easy, it would be nice. <laughs> That's true, right? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, once every five years, if something could just kind of come to you, that would be, <laughs> I'd be okay with that. What I'll do for that is I'll just, I'll just take on a really easy job. You know, that's only takes a few days, get in and out, price it really well. Yeah. Make some money and go. W, got Bam. it. Yes, it's like all a, right. It's a good. Let's booster. go take on something that's not so smart again. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Awesome. Well. Matt, you have been pushing the envelope, um, and I'm just, I've been inspired by you. I know you're inspiring a lot of other people. We're going to keep watching you from the East Coast on Instagram, man, and um, just keep plugging away, keep experimenting because- Thanks, um, guys. Really it, appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, we love watching the journey. Matt, thank you again so much for joining us today. This was awesome. Now, you can find Matt at the underscore Yardist on Instagram or go to his website at heinerlandscapes.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please be sure to follow us at Landscapes and Pancakes underscore podcast on Instagram. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment when you listen to this podcast. And as always, check out our work and progress on magmadesigngroup.com and magmadesigngroup on Instagram.